This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey everybody, welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. In this program, we're reviewing the best of Remnant Radio in 2023. It's going to be an exciting program. You guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Guys, we have a great program for you today. We're going to be reviewing, well, frankly, other great programs that we've produced. Uh, If you missed some of these programs, it's probably because you haven't been on our newsletter. The newsletter is a fantastic way to get updates on new merch that we're releasing as an organization, uh, content that we have released on Patreon, discounts for courses, discounts for uh, uh, conferences, all the early bird registration information that you're going to need. If you want to stay up to all the latest and greatest details about Remnant Radio, you need to subscribe to the newsletter. A link can be found in the description, but you also need to subscribe to the YouTube. So if you're new here, you want to you know, learn more about different theology and history and uh, the gifts of the Spirit, you want to learn about all that different stuff, you need to make sure to subscribe to the channel because we're constantly making videos. Uh, we're, we're getting pretty darn close to the 800th video of Remnant Radio. And uh, well, frankly, it's a, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to serve the body of Christ. Michael, how are you doing over there in Oklahoma? Uh, you know, also taking pleasure in making videos for Christians. Yeah, I, I take a lot of pleasure in making videos, uh, YouTube videos for Christians on theology, history, church history, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's just, you know, a lot of fun over here, Josh. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, speaking of that whole, like, YouTube channel thing that we have going, we are reviewing, as Josh said at the top of the show, our most popular videos from the year. So, Josh and I will offer a little bit of feedback commentary on these videos, but uh, I don't know, what were your favorite YouTube videos from the year. Well, um, well, you know, it's interesting. We, we've got to pick between our personal favorites and then view count. And we chose on this program to focus primarily on view count and then pick from uh, the top 10 videos that we had on view count. And then we said we picked from amongst those. But man, I always like those yeah, weird episodes. It, you know what I mean? That, that not everyone mixed, loves loves. Yeah, there was a little bit of a mixed criteria because, you know, Mike Bickle's video got a lot of views. We don't really want to talk about that as like our end of the year review. And we just did that totally. video like a month ago. Um, but, you know, so we went with, uh, like a little mixture of most pop, most populars and the highest viewed. And we pick and chose a little bit within that, within that criteria. So we have five videos, five videos. Uh, Josh, help me. Uh, we got the Andy Stanley video is one of mm-hmm. them. Jackie Pullinger. Mm-hmm. The Nephilim, Sons of God. Uh, mm-hmm. Help me on the other two. Pre-trib rapture oh, yeah. with Joel oh, Richardson. Yeah. And then we've got the Asbury revival. Oh, so, dude. I mean, I, that, I think it's a good line. you like 30 years ago already? 
it feels like it was quite a minute ago. Yeah, a long, long minute. So, which one do we want to play for? Uh, play first. Uh, let's start on an upbeat. Let's uh, let. Should we start with Nephilim? Everybody likes Nephilim. Oh, dude. Let's... Yeah. You know what? It really is heart. <laughs> it's upbeat when the sons of God. Uh, like I can't even repeat what they do. <laughs> it's not upbeat it's not, at all, dude. It's not good. It's it's yeah, but... they do they do bad things, and out come the Nephilim. It's it's strange. But let's watch. Let's watch this uh, with Tim Chaffee. Yep. Uh, Neffleton, as he was frequently referred to because he's very, very tall. Ne Neffleton's explanation of the sons of God. Maybe let's like you said, your first couple chapters tackle that subject of the different ways of viewing who the Ben Elohim are in Genesis 6. So people are, are tuning in for the first time. Uh, set the stage for us. Genesis 6, what's going on? What are the primary views that people have in interpreting that passage? Yeah, the first four verses talk about how there were the time when the um, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they had they took wives of whomever they chose and they had children with them. And it tells us in verse four that the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, whenever the sons of God did this. So you have this who are the sons of God, that, that's where the, the biggest debate is, because if you get that one nailed down, then the Nephilim aren't too difficult, although there's still, there's still going to be some uh, disagreement about that. But um, so the sons of God, uh, historically, there have been three major views uh, throughout the church. The, the earliest one that we know about, the most ancient Jewish writings that we have, and the earliest Christian writings we have viewed them as angelic beings who rebelled against God and had uh, offspring with women. Then uh, in about the second, early second century, you had some Jewish writers adopt a different view that I, I've called it the royalty. Some people call it divine king's view or uh, divine judges that uh, these men thought that they were, you know, they were kind of viewed as gods. These people who were kings or judges and therefore their offspring, their sons could be sons of the gods. You know, this whole idea that maybe there's a parallel in Near Eastern, ancient Near Eastern literature about the kings being viewed as deity, that sort of thing. And then, uh, so that would be the next view. Then the third view, and really the view that dominated church history up until about the last uh, century from about Augustine until then is that, no, the sons of God were just godly men from the line of Seth that's described in Genesis chapter five from, you get Adam to Seth and then all the way down to Noah. So it's men in that line and they were marrying daughters of men who are women from the line of Cain, which is described in Genesis chapter four. So those are the three primary views that people have held throughout church history. And yeah, so the first half of my book deals with with those. Well, if you don't know, uh, Tim came on, did a fantastic job. It was a very popular video. He came on recently, and it's got some of our uh, most most popular video of the year. Just, I mean, frankly, the source material, the material that we're talking about, Nephilim. It's really in interesting to a lot of people. Uh, it's this passage in Genesis 6 when it talks about the sons of God, seeing that the daughters of men are beautiful. They came down, took wives for themselves, and the Nephilim kind of lived in the earth in those days when that was taking place. And, and Tim kind of walks through the three positions in that clip right there and kind of explains these are the three primary positions and then he kind of shows us that man the first position is one both the most historically 
you know, consistent with what this position has kind of always been interpreted. It wasn't until a specific period of time in church history after Second Temple Judaism, after Jesus, really, uh, that that view begins to change and shift. Wonder why. Uh, and then he kind of goes back and shows us biblically where in the scriptures that this points to these spiritual beings. So it's like, hey, the Ben Elohim always referred to in the Old Testament as spiritual beings. Uh, and then he went and, and, and kind of dug around in that source material like Psalm 82, went to go hang out in uh, in the book of Job. Uh, I believe there's a verse in Ezekiel, like those kinds of passages went kind of towed around and showed us, walked us through what we call the divine council worldview. It's very different than Heiser's work and that there was kind of an apologetic approach and a theological approach. I think Heiser took more of a biblical theology where Tim kind of took more of a systematic theology in his approach. Uh, and I thought it was a very well-written book, great discussion, uh, fantastic conversation with him. I really enjoyed it. Michael, what are your thoughts uh, on, on hey, that video? And Josh, do you want to actually unpack that for us? What, uh, How would you characterize the difference between a biblical and a systematic theology? Well, so Dr. Heiser takes a biblical theology approach, in particular, like when it comes to, you know, early book of Genesis, where it says, let us make man in our own image. Well, a biblical theology guy was going to say, well, there's no Trinity in Genesis 1. And, and I'm not trying to speak for all biblical theology guys. I'm just going to give this as an example. They're taking a linear look, saying from this point to this point, what would have the, the, the people understood at that time and taking that as preferential? Well, there's a kind of divine counsel worldview in Genesis, even though there's not a Trinitarian view in Genesis. However, a systematic theology guy creates categories of theology and then sees them throughout the texts of Scripture. So I think my, myself in particular, when I look at Genesis chapter, you know, uh, one, two, and three, and, and there's this language of let us make man in our own image, I have a biblical theology, a, a systematic theology category for the Trinity. It's easy for me to say, let us make man in our own image. I'm not going to die on that hill, and I'm not saying that that's like the only interpretation, I'm but that would be one do. example of saying I have a category of theology, and I'm going to allow that, the that category to influence my reading of the text, opposed to just looking at this thing in a more linear way. Right. So biblical theology, where you're looking at, you're more looking at this specific passage and its history and its culture and its genre and all that goes into that and deriving your uh, your theology from that systematic where you have, uh, you know, you've got the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, you have the Trinity and so on. And so I think, so Josh's point here is like, if we're looking at it through the systematic theology lens, we can go back to Genesis 1 and say, let us make man in our own image as a Trinitarian verse, whereas Heiser's like, well, let's just look at it with without bringing in some of the categories from other, other verses. And so uh, both systematic theology and biblical theology approaches are important. I affirm both. I'm, I totally. am going to join Josh and say, I very much believe that's Trinitarian. And I think you can get there from a biblical theology place too but we don't have time for that. So um, really we're talking about the Nephilim and, uh, and here's what I, uh, what I do really appreciate. I, I know this was chaffy, but I, I appreciate about when I was first doing deep dives on this with Heiser. So I, I remember talking to Miller who'd been reading Heiser and Heiser's book Unseen Realm had just come out. He's like, you got to read this guy, Heiser. He's talking about the Nephilim. And I was like, Nephilim, like, no one really knows what the Nephilim are. Like, like why would you have a whole book about the Nephilim? And I, I'm, it, you know, I guess sometimes I, I have, I, I, I don't know, somebody's like focusing on like the twig of the tree. I'm kind of like, let's just pay attention to the trunk. Like there's just some things we're never going to know. And he's like, no, no, it's really good. And, uh, and I, I think I really have like it, a theology of speculation. I don't love, 
you know, I'm like, let's, there's enough of the Bible I know that I'm not doing a good job at obeying. Let's just focus on that um, rather than speculation. But um, I read Heiser's book after that and I, and I thought, man, uh, this, this is really convincing. And, um, and I think it definitely goes beyond speculation into uh, making a very convincing case, as does Tim Cha- uh, Tim Chaffee, make a convincing case uh, that the Nephilim were the offspring of angelic beings and human uh, humans, women, and that the Nephilim were the offspring. And, and and but here's why I think this is important, Josh, is that and Heiser I think pushes uh, like helps us understand this well that this isn't just Michael Heiser geeking out on the Bible. This this is helping us see that when you look at Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, and then you look at Genesis chapter 6, where you have the Nephilim introduced and immediately afterward the flood, and then you have Genesis chapter 11, where you, ha- where you see the Tower of Babel, and then Deuteronomy 32 hyperlinking with Genesis 11 to show how at the Tower of Babel, God apportioned the nations to the Ben Elohim, that is the sons of God, that is, according to our interpretation, these angelic beings, these lowercase g gods, if you will. God hands the nations over to the gods and takes Israel as his own portion, Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. And what Heiser helps us see is that, hey, this isn't just for me to geek out on a strange detail in the Bible. This is actually helping us understand the gospel, that it wasn't just the fall of man, it was, but it's like there were three falls. And then God says in Genesis 12, okay, I'm going to just go start with Abraham, and then you have the rest of the Bible. And and when I when I saw that Heiser, I feel bad because I'm talking so much about Heiser, not Chaffee, but <laughs> but when I saw the way Chaff, uh, or, sorry, Heiser put that in the context of like the broad story of the, of the Bible, it helped me see, again, this isn't just geeking out on a speculative detail. This is helping us understand the broad brushstroke of the story of the gospel. And and I thought that was, uh, it was really powerful for me when I saw yeah. that. I think that that Heiser, he he left a couple of things kind of untidy for me. And Heiser was just happy to do that. He was like, here, I'm going to say this thing and then I'm going to walk away. Like he'll say this thing about (laughs) Jesus hanging out with the Pharisees. And he goes, so what if I say that I'm God? Doesn't your own scripture say that you are God? And he quotes Psalm 82 and then just kind of walks away from it. And then I'm like, Heiser, dude, that Mormons use that verse. You got to put some qualifiers on that, man. Like you got to, you got to put a nice, neat little bow on that so that you can explain to the evangelicals how this doesn't mean that we are gods. And, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes you just, he'll make statements and then kind of just walk away from them. And, and it's not because he believed like the Mormon view or anything that absurd, uh, but it's to say that he was just really comfortable teaching what the Bible said and then just kind of walking away, whereas Tim has more of an apologetic mind. And because he's very systematic in his thinking, he can see how these things are very connected theologically. And then we'll take a kind of take a pit stop to kind of explain, okay, well, it's this and it's not that. I actually think that those two books would pair really well together. So if you're out there and you're like, you're reading Heiser stuff, you need to go read Tim's stuff because I don't think that you're reading the same book twice. I think you're actually reading compatibilistic works, uh, you know, for, so Tim, you know, he kind of goes out of his way to say, 
you know, the argumentation that, uh, you know, image of God language uh, was bearing on kings, like that only the kings were in God's image and only the kings were these Ben Elohim. He's like, that's kind of overplayed. Like he went and looked at all the source material. And that's something that I read in a lot of scholarly literature um, as I'm preaching through Genesis and creating God's image. Everyone's quoting the same, you know, study on you know, the kings of the ancient Near East viewed themselves as God and no one else was able to do that. Well, Tim goes, you know, maybe one or two cultures, but that's kind of overplayed to think that all of these kings and all of these pharaohs think that they were gods. You know, he kind of, you know, puts a gentle check in that. And I don't know, there's just a lot of great stuff in the book. I uh, can't say enough positive things about it. And I love love having him on the podcast. He's He's been doing really good, uh, kind of doing the rounds on the Nephilim stuff. I saw him on Joel Evans' podcast recently. So, uh, yeah, I saw that you, too. You know, Joel's always good for a good Nephilim talk. Um, <laughs> he had us on anyway. to talk Nephilim. Huh? <laughs> like he, when he first started his channel, he had us on to talk Nephilim. Yeah, that's what I meant. I'm just joking about it. Um, yeah, cool. Do, do we need to uh, jump into another video? Do you have any more thoughts you want to say? Do you have any more thoughts about the Nephilim, Michael? They're bad. I don't, I don't like them. I don't like them, Josh. I think I can't tell if it's offensive to call uh, Tim Nephil Tim, but man, that's funny. Um, uh, what about anyway. like, like your mom's a Nephilim? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not editing this. My mom is like 4'11". That's just not even possible. She's the most deformed Nephilim there ever was. If she's a Nephilim, there's no way. Okay. Anyway, like, let's jump into this next clip as Michael and Sons like family. Your response is like, basically, that's that's just inaccurate, Michael. That's, she's not a Nephilim. That my, my mom, I can't. Okay, let's move on. Um, uh... Let's do pre-trib rapture. That'll spice things up a little bit. So, so there's you're saying that there's this new doctrine that, or this new uh, historical background literature that doesn't really exist, and that is being imposed onto the text, and people are isogetting this tradition and this ceremony over the text of scripture in order to come to a pre-tribulation rapture position. This is, I mean, it's news to me. I've heard the 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 wedding thing for a long time. Can you maybe? shed some light like um who 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 out there right now is very popular and is saying that this is all about uh you know a symbolism within a marriage and 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 is pushing that without source material can you maybe draw our attention to people who are doing this right now sure so for example there was a very popular film it's alleged by the filmmakers to have been the number one christian film of 2020 um it was called before the wrath and the film interviews um, uh, Jack Hibbs, uh, Amir Safardi, a couple of very well-known names, particularly in the Calvary Chapel movement. Um, uh, J.D. Farage uh, is another uh, Calvary Chapel pastor, and um, Jan Martell, a very popular radio host. So they're the prime. Oh, and another, um, the main voice actually in the film is a, another Calvary Chapel pastor named Jay McCarl. So the film claims that the key to understanding the end times would have been understood that Galilean Jewish wedding rituals are distinct and very different from other Jewish wedding rituals. This is actually the premise of the entire film. They say that recently discovered anthropological. Uh, discoveries have shed new light. They've shaken the very core of the theological community. And again, all of the voices in the film validate this. They go, of course, the disciples would have understood when Jesus said, 
this or that. Of course, they would have understood it to be referring to a Galilean wedding ritual. Well, I've reached out to the creator of the film, uh, Brent Miller Jr. I've reached out to Pastor Jay McCarl. I've done immense research into this. And in all of the authoritative sources that I found, they not only do they not validate the foundational premise of the film, they actually say it's just the opposite. There is no evidence whatsoever that there was any profound difference between a Galilean wedding and any other Jewish wedding. Um, throughout the film, they, they make these very dogmatic statements. They'll say, and then after the groom went back to his father's house, the father would never tell him when the day was coming. The groom would wait. And then one day the father would say, now, now go get your bride. And this type of thing. So as you hear that, if you go, well, this is true, you say, well, that validates the idea that no one knows the day or the hour. The problem is there is absolutely zero evidence that a father would uh, make this statement or that that day was a surprise. It's literally made up out of thin air. And I've reached out again to Jay McCarl, he's the primary pastor that they cite as, uh, uh, you know, because the, the film is actually based on his book. And I asked him, can you show me where you found this? This is a statement you say, any Jew would have recognized this. Anyone from the first century would have heard this and understood it. It would have made sense to them. And he just beats around the bush and, you know, he's kind of shucking and jiving and refusing to give me a uh, any citation. He says, well, it's found in a broad array of sources. And I say, give me the citation, Jay. I'm an author. You know, I understand research. I understand how citation, if you make a claim to the body of Christ, you need to be able to back it up. And, you know, I've done my due diligence, my Matthew 18. I've given them the opportunity. And at this point, I'm just saying the creators of the film, that Jay McCarl, the, the, the pastor, that Brett Miller Jr., they're dishonest. The film itself is actually a fraud um, that has been fed to the body of Christ. And many people believe the claims of the film, um, but it's literally, it's, it's a genuine fraud. Well, uh, the video is a little hard to hear. I apologize that it's kind of audio is cutting in and out a little bit. But at the time of the recording, which, again, this is the most popular, one of the most popular videos we've had on Remnant uh, this year, uh, the audio just was not that great. His audio is coming in now. I try to do some post leveling. Uh, so that actually probably sounds better than the original recording. Uh, but here in this clip, I have asked him a question. Hey, Joel what's with this whole wedding feast thing? Like there's this story that Galilean uh, weddings went a certain way and this Galilean wedding ritual points to a kind of pre-trib rapture, this kind of sudden, immediate, like abrupt to thing. He said that all of this really comes from a, a documentary, a movie that was made and a book that was, I think, accompanied with it. Uh, but there's no source material that backs up the claim that Judean weddings are any different than normal Jewish weddings, which I think is very, very interesting. Now, Michael is is the resident eschatological expert. I mean, I know very few people that I would trust more with eschatology than Michael Roundtree. Um, take it away. Fix all the problems, Michael. <laughs> I mean, yeah, th this whole before the wrath thing, it's all about extra biblical sources to validate their interpretation of the Bible. I'm for extra biblical sources. Uh, I mean, we should go there. We should look at, you know, what was the second temple literature saying? Uh, just, 
what what were other apocalypses saying uh, around the, this period? How does that inform our understanding of John's apocalypse, et cetera? Like, it should at least help us think through. However, um, the way that these people, I mean, to Joel's point, like when pressed for give me a citation and then the response is, well, there are a broad range of sources and then basically a big nothing burger. Uh, man, I think Joel's right to call him out on that. I mean, it sounds like the guy lied. And man, I, I just think, um, <clears throat> I, I think just kind of reflecting on the year, it just feels like God is really purifying his church. And, and this is, this is, it's a painful thing, but it's a good thing. I feel like, man, the, the number of cases of, uh, of abuse that are coming out, the, you know, we mentioned Bickle, we're about to talk about Stanley, that's more in the false teaching category. But there's just it. This is anecdotal. I have no studies that say this. I don't know, you tell me but Josh, I just feel like there's something happening in the way of exposure where people used to just make broad brush stroke statements like these guys in the before the wrath deal. Uh, where, well, the Galilean wedding and the way it happens supports my view of the rapture. Like people used to be able to say that kind of thing and get away with it. Nobody's getting away with it anymore. Like people are just getting called out. And I, I mean, it's painful, but it's good and it's necessary. So I'm grateful that Joel actually took the time to do that research. Uh, I've seen Joel do the same thing, uh, with some pre-trib rapture guys who love to, uh, to quote, um, Gosh, who who is the guy? Ah, um, Ephraim the Syrian or something like that. Who uh, you know? Because it's always been said, like, hey, the pre-trib rapture was invented in the 19th century. John Nelson Darby, all this, and uh, and then they're like, oh no, this other guy, a long time ago, he mentions it. And uh, anyway, Joel Joel read the guy's work and um, went to the original source and is like, eh, doesn't really look like it's saying what you think it says. So anyway, I, I appreciate that Jules willing to kind of deep dive, go to original sources, that kind of thing. And, and, uh, Josh, maybe too, there, there's just more discernment. There's like an increasing discernment and, uh, and well, here's a, a last day's verse for you. It's Daniel chapter 11 and chapter 12. They both talk about an increase, uh, in wisdom in the last days and those who are wise, uh, and, uh, will teach many, and so I, I do think that as we near the return of Christ, and and just side note on Daniel, I think that you can uh, look at the book of Daniel as though there's there are some historical fulfillments as well as future fulfillments. Uh, and anyway, we don't have time to get into all that, but um, but I, I do think that as we near the end, that God will pour out in times wisdom upon His church, and uh, and I think there will start to be more unity. On eschatology. Uh, so I said a few things there, Josh. Uh, what do you want to respond to? Man, not as an eschatology guy, but just in particular, as you're talking about uh, just exposure and how that is working. Uh, it, right now, I think one of the things that has been a great advantage to the body of Christ is the accessibility to scholarship and accessibility to academic information. I think we've mentioned Dr. Heiser a moment ago. I can't tell you how many people who today are interested in theology 
because Dr. Heiser made a couple of Nephilim videos and then showed them how to research source material. How many people I meet at ETS who are like, I'm not a scholar and I didn't even know ETS existed. So I just started going because I was a layperson and I realized it cost a hundred bucks to listen to some of the most, you know, cutting edge theological conversations that are taking place in the world. Um, so I, I think that podcast, I, mean, I don't want to toot our own horn, like, you know, but like podcasts like Remnant Radio, frankly, we're trying to grab theological information and make it accessible to people. A lot of people don't want to read books. So we're, we're distilling the information down to them in video format that typically peaks an interest that causes them to go and read that source material. So when people just say claims, you know, like, you know, the Bible says fear not 365 times. That's one fear not for every day of the week. You just open up Blue Letter Bible and you go, nope, that's not true. Like you, you can just check the material. People would say, you know, Saul's name was changed from Saul to Paul when he was knocked off his donkey. Like, no, he wasn't knocked off a donkey. There's no record of a donkey or a horse or, or any kind of steed. Um, his name is not changed from Saul to Paul. When I Google this, I just find out that Saul is Paul in Greek or Paul is, you know, Hebrew and and Saul is his Greek oh. name, right? So like he's he's going to the Jews with one name and to the Gentiles with another name, but it's the same name transliterated between languages. So it's just like those kinds of things where we maybe those seem like silly platitudes, those seem frivolous and meaningless, but like those are the kinds of things that people are realizing. I have access to the source material. I can go look at this for myself. And, and we realized the very first time that that happened in history was during the Protestant Reformation, when Gutenberg was able to get stuff into the hands of the people and they were able to read for themselves the material. They were like, there was this kind of revolution that took place. And I feel like what's happening right now is that there is a, a shrinking of distance between the, the scholarly um, you know, PhD guys and the lay people, because the lay people can now read the material. Uh, they have access to Logos Bible software. They have access to Blue Letter Bible. They have access to all of these, even some of them free resources online. Uh, and I think that it's it's shrinking the once, you know, wide gulf between scholarship and lay people. Uh, and I think that's good. I think that's a good thing that people can now check material for themselves. Uh, what, what were some of your thoughts during that, Michael? Uh, I was just impressed that you used the word steed. I thought that was a good one. Um, oh, well, thanks. No, uh, I, I could have. I yeah, could have gone full Shrek, but I think you were going for Paul as the Hebrew, Paul the Greek, and it is interesting. This is just a little side note because I'm preaching through Acts, so I'm aware of it. But uh, it the reason it's confusing is that Luke deliberately stops calling him Saul after Acts 13 and starts calling him Paul. Now, Paul's converted in Acts 9, and he continues to be called Saul, but it's not until the mission to the Gentiles begins that he begins going by Paul. Of course, he's around the, all the Greek speakers, not all his Hebrew friends. There's probably like a practical reality to that, but it does seem like Luke is also trying to, uh, trying to convey like Paul really is becoming a Gentile to the Gentiles. This, this is God's missionary to the nations to the gentiles so uh so i do think like there's a reason for that confusion but yeah josh to your to your point like um people make those kinds of mistakes all the time and uh and now we just have more information at our fingertips to be able to to deep dive so uh yeah good stuff i think we could uh go ahead and play that third clip we got five total so let's play the third yeah let's do let's do mr stanley we'll put him right in the middle so we have time to 
pull up from the heartbreak. And then I started doing some more research and I found actually listened to uh, several. Look at that face. Look at that, look at that baby face. Jeez. Sorry. <laughs> That's very much. It, I like where you froze it, Josh. Oh, yeah. I you mean, got like one twitching I, eye. Super I, nice. I, <laughs> oh, I, I look like, is it Steve Buscemi, the, the actor? Like, nice. You would know who Good reference. Is. Okay, I'll keep going. Sermons and teachings of his on this subject. And I, uh, and then I saw, and I kind of follow a little rabbit trail through Protestia. And I saw Debbie Kalsi, the care director uh, for North Point Church, advocating for an organization called Christian Closet. And I uh, did a little research on Christian Closet. It is openly affirming, openly gay. In fact, all their staff members, they brag like we're, we are openly gay and we can help people who are walking through this. And so at North Point, they are telling, you know, if a teenager uh, or parents of teenagers come to them and say, hey, my kid is, you know, come out or my kid is, you know, struggling with this or whatever, uh, they say, oh, we'll go to this affirming organization. So, Josh, I, I kind of went down the rabbit trail and started to kind of look into this, some of this stuff. And I'm like, you got two to three witnesses. And then you have just the plain, like these plain videos, I you know, of Debbie Cossie talking about uh, this organization. And then, uh, it you know, and then it, the rabbit hole just kept going deeper. I actually wasn't even aware of this. I don't know how he didn't, didn't catch more flack in 2012 when this happened. But on April 15th, uh, 2012, he preached a sermon called When Gracie Met Truthy. And I listened to it. And, uh, and he starts telling this story about um, – how he won't allow a, a gay couple to uh, serve in his church unless the gay, the gay, one of the gay men who was still technically married to his wife completed and finalized the divorce. Then it's like, okay, as long as your your divorce is finalized, yeah, we're good. And as the story goes, the very if I remember this right, the very first Sunday they showed up at Buckhead Church was our strategic service Sunday. And the strategic service Sunday, we spend the entire time recruiting people to volunteer. And I, you know, I cast a big vision and you know we're gonna change the world. Come help us change the world. And so my friend's partner said, hey, I like this church. I think we should get involved. So on the first Sunday they're there, they go down and sign up to, to be in a strategic service and join a host team, one of our guest services teams. Well, a few weeks go by and I'm checking on her. How's it going? And she said, that's good. You know, and we talked about the, you know, she kicked him out of the church and how's that going, you know? And, and she said, well, the, the good news, I guess, is that they're back in church. I said, oh, great, where? She said, they're going to Buckhead Church. She said, and then she kind of chuckled. And she said, not only that, they're serving. I said, really? She goes, yeah, they joined a host team. Now, what I knew, and I double-checked with her to make sure I was correct, was the last I, where we had left off was he, my friend's partner, and he's a friend now, but back then not so much, my friend's partner was still married. And so I said to her, I said, now, he's still married, right? And she said, yeah, the divorce is taking longer than, than they expect. It's kind of getting dragged out. So I called my buddy and said, okay, I know things have been awkward you know, between us, but look, uh, and, and I'm glad you're in church. That's a good thing. And I'm glad you're at one of our churches. You know, that's a good thing. But your partner, he's, he's still married. So see, this is just good old fashioned adultery. Like you're in a sexual relationship with someone else's husband. Ah, you, know, it was, you know, I've never said that before. But anyway, so I said, so you can't be on a guest services team, okay? This is, you're just living in, you know, this is, this is clear, okay? You can't do this. And he, you know, he, he, he's, he said, you know, I, I get this. He said, well. I don't know if I noticed this the first time. He said, you're living in and wouldn't say the word sin. He, yeah. he stopped himself from saying the word sin. I'm going to back it up 10 seconds and we're going to watch him say it. But I didn't notice this the first time we watched this. So I called my buddy and said, okay, 
I know things have been awkward, you know, between us, but look, uh, and, and I'm glad you're in church. That's a good thing. And I'm glad you're at one of our churches. You know, that's a good thing. But your partner, he's, he's still married. So see, this is just good old fashioned adultery. Like you're in a sexual relationship with someone else's husband. Uh, you, know, it was, you know, I've never said that before. But anyway, so I said, so you can't be on a guest services team. Okay, this is, you're just living in, you know, this is, this is clear. Okay, you can't do this. You're just living and he, in and, and stops. You know, he, he, he's, he said, you know, I, I get this. He said, well, yeah. and it's funny now, it wasn't funny then. He said, well, he's married, but he's almost divorced, okay? We're all, he's almost divorced. They're at the very end. I'm like, you can't be almost divorced, okay? You're married or you're not. As long as he's married, you can't serve on a, on a guest services team. And so I kind of, you know, kicked him off the team. He said, well, my partner, he's going to be really upset about this because he loved the church and he loved the fact that we were going to be able to connect. I said, well, you know what? I'll, I'll talk to you. If you guys want to come in, I'll, I'll talk to you about this. So they came in to see me. Like the the fact that it was adulterous was a problem, but not the fact that it was now to maybe give the benefit of the doubt. Um, maybe he thought that, I, I, I don't know. I don't know actually how you give the benefit of the doubt there. I, I, I try, I struggle to, but um, he's literally using a sermon example where he won't condemn the gay couple. He only condemns the adulterous aspect of it. I'll tell you what, I like bearded Michael more. Bearded Michael will say, no, there's no way of giving this guy the benefit of the doubt. Bald-faced Michael goes, you know, let me try. Still can't yeah, do it, you know but what? I'm going to try. Bearded Michael doesn't even try. He doesn't. I'm just kidding. Look at this. Look at this. And I don't even care. So, I don't even care. Josh, did I hear this right? Like, whenever the part where you stopped it, right before that, when he said, you know, this is just good old-fashioned adultery. Like, you're in a... Didn't he say you're in a sexual relationship? Like, he acknowledged... Not even just this is a partnership, but it's an actual, it's a sexual relationship. Yeah. Because you know, like, like there are some Christians who are like, oh, well, as long as you don't take your clothes off, you can be uh, partners and, you know, like they make it like a, like a quasi marriage, like an asexual marriage like thing. And they think that's okay. Like, which I think is bad. There's no biblical model for that. And don't give me David and Jonathan. It was definitely not that. Um, But here, He's like acknowledging because, well, even the fact that he says it's an adultery. So he's acknowledging like this sexual relationship between two dudes stops himself from calling it sin. Bro, I'm just going to say this. Andy, and man, it takes a lot for me to say this because I'm not a heretic hunter. Um, Andy Stanley is a wolf in sheep's clothing he's a wolf mark and avoid stay away from him uh maybe a a good term for him would be a serpent genesis 3 says the serpent is crafty and so andy stanley tries to give off these like orthodox christianity vibes while at the same time openly affirming sin and of course, it's gotten worse, Josh, since we did that video, because after that video, he came out and, and he actually did host this conference where there were affirming, like leaders of it were affirming people. And so, uh, man, he's off the reservation. It's not a church. If you if you go to that church, you're not going to church and you're putting yourself under the uh, the covering or the umbrella of a big, fat marcionite heretic deception that's that's my opinion josh is well that fair? to be fair 
I don't think he's fat. He's quite thin. Um, everything else you said was accurate. Um, when talking about Andy Stanley, um, sorry, I, I just a little bit. He wasn't, but obviously I know what you meant by big fat. Um, anyway, <clears throat> Andy uh, had an opportunity to repent. In fact, he has been asked multiple times, clarify, please help, but he's gone out of his way to say, I don't know anyone an explanation for anything. So he's doubled down. He's not only said, no, I won't repent, but he's kind of doubled down and saying, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to explain myself to anybody. Um, <clears throat> this is wrong. Uh, this shouldn't be an issue that Christians kind of mince words about. Uh, it's true for these who are out here watching. There are people in our churches who uh, struggle with same sex attraction. There are people in our churches who wrestle uh, against heterosexual sins. Uh, there are people in our churches who are addicted to prescription medication. There are uh, Christians in our churches, you know, who struggle with rage and alcoholism and they attend our churches, right? Um, what, what we all agree to though is to war against sin and to mortify the flesh. That's part of what it is to be a Christian is to say that Jesus is Lord and as Lord, he is the one who gets to set the rules. When you're in a place where you're openly embracing sin, and saying sin is okay, sin is acceptable. And not only is it acceptable, but I will call what is evil good, and I will call what is good evil. And, you know, over and over again in these conversations, you know, we're talking about gay marriage. There's, there's no such thing as gay marriage. Marriage is something that's instituted by God and something that God recognizes. God doesn't recognize two men making vows to one another. He doesn't recognize it. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And I'm sorry, YouTube, cancel me if you must, but but that's just the way that this works. So um, we love everybody. You got a same-sex attracted person out there, you're watching this, hey, um, you know, we love you. We but love at the you. same time, if you're in an active relationship, we would call you to repent and to believe in Jesus. It is not biblically permissible for the, uh, the, the one who's stuck in alcoholism to stay in alcoholism. They have to repent. They have to mortify the flesh. They have to turn to Jesus. There's an act of moving from point A to point right. B and acknowledging Christ's words is true. If you're going to deny that, man, I, I think that you're yeah. in a very, the reason, very dangerous place. And the reason we can't classify this as some kind of discrimination is that we would say the exact same thing to heterosexuals who are fornicating. We would say repent and to homosexuals who are sexually active uh homosexuals or heterosexuals who are sexually active outside of marriage we would say repent and then to the person who says yeah but what if the homosexual couple is married we would say that's not marriage as god defines it in matthew 19 jesus defines marriage according to the first one he says that first one is a prototype for every marriage since I'm paraphrasing, but that's his point in Matthew 19. And it is a marriage between Adam and Eve. So biblical theology points to this, uh, as well as natural theology. There's an obvious complementarity of a male and female body that does not exist, uh, for male and male or female and female. And, um, and so all the way around it's, uh, it's sinful and, and, we're not playing favorites here. We're not saying yeah, and heterosexuals are better. We're just saying everyone who practices sexual activity in a way condemned by the Bible should repent. Yeah. And uh, and we are we at Remnant Radio, we don't read very clear verses in the Bible and say, oh, it, but it actually means the opposite of that. And that's that's what the affirming community does is they 
they say, oh, well, this verse doesn't mean that. And well, but that was in the Old Testament and Jesus never condemns gay marriage. And, well, you know, and they go through, they go through all those things and, and the, all the arguments are absolutely terrible. They're, yeah, they're the so arguments cool. are equivalent to Jesus never mentioned zebras, therefore there are no zebras. Uh, it, it's that silly. It's that preposterous. Um, and, and guys, here, here's the thing. We are living in a day where people are going to go through gymnastics and turn themselves into pretzels and hoops to ignore the word of God, to say it's not the word of God, to say it's full of errors, to say that God is some big, mean, bad guy in the sky ready to strike you with lightning bolts, uh, and that, and that uh, you know, uh, th this is just some kind of primitive religion, and we have to evolve. We have to change what the Bible says. We have to change the scriptures. You know, just just kind of be open-minded. You know, be be graceful. You know, don't be so judgmental. But but here's the thing, guys. If you're if you're watching this video, you kind of know where we stand on these issues. Uh, it is better to be labeled judgmental than the unbeliever to be judged by God, because there is real wrath, and God really yep. brings wrath. And I would rather be labeled judgmental than you have to receive the judgment of God's wrath for eternity. And yeah, yeah, I, I, that's where Absolutely. I think many Christians should lay. And I think it's many where many Christian pastors need to get a little bit of courage uh, because cowards are the first ones to get thrown into the lake of fire because it's a big deal to God. And yeah, I think that we yeah. live in a culture that cranks like out cowards. 21. There you go. Uh, yeah. and, and Josh, I also think it's worth talking about a model of how we do church. Uh, I read Andy Stanley's book about like, you know, just how to build a wonderful, great church. And, uh, and like his tagline for how he built his church was he wanted a church where unbelievers love to come. Like that was the tagline. And this actually is emblematic. Build a club. What's that? To just build Maybe. a club, get some bumping music in there. They yeah. love that stuff. Well, but a, a church that unbelievers love to attend. And, and, you know, here's the thing. This is emblematic of the whole seeker-sensitive movement that I believe is absolutely unbiblical. If my starting point is what pleases lost people, but not what pleases God, I'm going to do things like what Andy Stanley's doing right now. That's just a slippery slope. That's where it leads to. Andy Stanley's church has been around for a long time. You might not be there today, but if you're leading a seeker-sensitive church, I'm not, I think there's a good chance you'll be there in a few years because that's where it starts. Now, the person will want to argue back, well, but that's not where it starts. We want to please God too. But like, why isn't your tagline about pleasing God? Why is your tagline about pleasing people who hate God? Why? They're called enemies of God. Now, I love the lost. I love lost people. I'm out of preaching the gospel. I mean, we have like, uh, I mean, my church is, uh, trying knocking on the doors of 5000 homes in our neighborhood to preach the gospel to lost people. See what we're, we're trying to do is we're trying to send our church to the lost instead of saying, "Hey, we're going to have a big party and mention Jesus a few times and try not to use the word sin because it might offend you and sort of like woo you into the kingdom." by giving you like a franchise church experience. I know that's a big caricature, but man, I'm just telling you, Josh, uh, and I know we have to use words carefully. This is a, a carefully chosen word. I hate the seeker-sensitive movement. I think it's bad. I think yeah. that as church leaders, we should be, we should want a church like, you know, 1 Corinthians 14. There's an example of like, Hey, if you're speaking in tongues, and actually Rick Warren uses this in his book about the secret sensitive church. And um, 
And he says, look, they are seeker sensitive in Corinth because when uh, when you have uninterpreted tongues, an unbeliever walks in and thinks you're crazy. And so I, I do think there's a decent point to be made. Like, don't put unnecessary offenses, like extra stuff that's just going to push people away. Let's not do that. Let's for sure, like, be hospitable. Let's show the hospitality of Jesus in our church services. Let's totally do that. Let's try to help lost people feel welcome and loved by Jesus. But let's compromise the gospel of Jesus in order to win them to the gospel of Jesus. How can I win them to the gospel by compromising the gospel? This is silly talk. So it's absurd. Yeah. There's, no, I, I there's remember my the, soapbox the... on seeker sensitive. I don't like it. No, I don't like it either. You know, I think it's like a, one of those things where if you remember like the satanic panic and we were trying to like redo everything the world was doing in the 90s and we're trying to relabel everything. So instead of a T-shirt that says, you know, Reese's, you buy at Mardell's and it says Jesus, but it looks like Reese's, you know, it's like real cute and clever. <laughs> and then we have music that sounds like good music, but it's actually Christian and it's just not very good. But we're like trying to rip off the sound of like Linkin Park. We're trying to rip off the sound of, you know, like shoot Coldplay, all these different bands you know uh, evanescence like let's, let's just let's just take these songs and we'll just like redo them in kind of a christian vibe with christian lyrics and and what's just really interesting about that is like hey come into the church we'll watch a movie together we'll, we'll play some kind of disney film and then i'll preach from the disney film and, and we we realized at the end you know <laughs> of the millennium right here comes the 2000s here comes the 2010s and we realize that all of these people who were raised on let's preach from a disney movie all the people that were raised on hey let's listen to christian music it just sounds like all the other music but it's just not as good like what we what we realized by trying to say hey the world is cool let's look like the world what we did is we actually discipled a whole bunch of christians that looked like the world and left the church and didn't want to be a part of the church because the church was telling them hey the world is cool the world is what matters the world is what's interesting so when they got to of age to become believers they were looking around going wait you guys are lame you don't do it as well all the things that you value all your value statements are pointing me to the world and now i'm going to go after the world so it didn't one it didn't reach the lost and two it, it made a whole bunch of worldly carnal christians who didn't know the bible and 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 man i'm telling you if you want to reach the world preach the gospel i'm not saying that you you have to like jump on stage with overalls, you know, and, and you should make it as unappealing as possible to the world. And you should have like untalented worship music up there. People, you know, you know, plucking at guitars, not being able to carry a tune in a bucket. Like I, I'm, I, I'm not telling you to not have excellence, but what I'm telling you is, is if you're trying to dress up the church to look like the world, you're not going to win the world and you're going to lose the church and you're going to damn both of them. So stop doing it. Stop wasting the time. Jesus is coming back from a pure and spotless bride. We need to look different than the world. We do. We, we, we have to live holy. We have to speak holy. We have to act holy. We have to think holy. We have to live holy. And, and I think the reason that some people might watch a video like this and see us kind of coming on strong with, hey, preach sin, preach repentance, preach the stuff, is because it makes us extremely unhappy when mega church pastors who are influencing hundreds of thousands, millions of people every single Sunday who get in the pulpit, who are telling people that sin is acceptable and it's it's like it is damning people's soul as i read hebrews and we can quibble over this point as i read hebrews it's saying sin will poison your heart to disbelief 
And if you if it, you're, if you play with sin long enough, it will harden your heart in disbelief. And the one thing that prevents you from getting into the in, into the throne, the only thing that gets you there is your lack of faith. So the author of Hebrews is saying, strive to enter his rest. Strive to enter his rest. Don't play with sin because if you play with sin, it will destroy your heart and, and it will it will send you down a horrible spiraling path. And I think that's what's happened. I, I think we've not pointed people to Jesus. We haven't pointed people to faith, which comes by the hearing of the word. We've pointed them to Disney movies. We decided we're going to preach the Disney movie. We're going to dress up the church like the world, well, and, and hopefully that'll work. And it hasn't. I mean, uh, the proof is in the pudding. Decide, preach the gospel. Like pastors have to decide what kind of church we want to have, and and people want to have to decide what kind of church they're going to go to. But like, it, we need churches to preach holiness. I mean, Revelation two and three, the seven churches, almost all of them end with repent, repent, repent. Like Jesus is pointing out something that's wrong. And then he says, let, you know, let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Well, what is the Spirit saying? The Spirit's saying, repent. If your pastor's not saying repent, well, maybe your pastor isn't very Spirit-filled. If you got a Spirit-filled pastor, that's the kind of message he's preaching. And, and he's promoting holiness. I mean, seek first the kingdom. We usually stop here, Josh, say Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God, uh, kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all else will be added to you. Usually it's like, yeah, just put God first in your life. And that's totally true. That is what it means. But notice that it says, seek first the kingdom. So that's the reign of God and his righteousness. I never hear anyone ever, ever talk about that. But when you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, you know what righteousness is. It's, it's go the extra mile, forgive your enemies kind of righteousness. It's don't harbor anger in your heart. Don't curse anyone kind of righteousness. It's don't even lust after someone in your heart kind of righteousness. It's don't let your righteous, uh, your your prayers and your almsgiving and fasting be before men kind of righteousness. Don't judge others lest you be judged kind of righteousness. I mean, it's this righteousness that's, that goes to crazy extremes and it goes all the way down to the heart. And Jesus says, seek that first, not independent of relationship with God, but you can't seek the righteous one without seeking righteousness. This is a package deal. Man, I'm, I'm getting... I'm getting heated up on this, but it's it, something it to do with mad. Andy Stanley. I'm it not sure what it is mad, anymore, dude. But it I tell you what, mad. we need—it's wild to me. It's—it's it's wild to me. Like Phineas are coming out with their spear and they're saying no to this ear-tickling nonsense yeah. from a false teacher. I don't, guys. I'm like really nice. I don't like using this language. But I'm ten seconds ago, he was like, "I'm trying to look, give him the benefit of the doubt." I know. I know. <laughs> We've sat on this beard. for a couple months. Then I grew a beard. No longer. And <laughs> I grew I'm... a beard. <laughs> it, it may have taken me like eight months, but I have one. So that's enough of that, Josh, I guess. But okay, uh, let's move on. Yeah. Let's move on to something more encouraging. Like, let's listen to some Jackie Pullinger stories. That's, oh, that's a good way. And then we'll end with the revival. After the conversion story, um, you know, most of us. Josh, Josh, yeah. where's your hair, bro? You, you're talking about my bald face. Look at your head. <laughs> I should have I should have seen that coming. I'm I'm gonna keep playing the footage. Maybe, Don't dude. get converted and then go, boom, let's go to China and be a missionary. What was your what was the was there a transition process? Was it just like had no, your face set? No. Like how, how did you go from point A to point B? Uh in 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 about one minute because um I was I was sitting with some friends and they were we were doing a Bible study and they were thanking the Lord they had eternal life and I thought oh oh well I just filled in the blanks in that booklet and so it, it was John three sixteen so I have eternal life um, and that's really good and I was happy for about uh, thirty seconds 
Uh, and then I thought, oh, well, that means some people don't. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure if I can enjoy eternal life if there are some people that don't. So um, my friends went on to cook risotto. And um, I, I looked at them and I thought, how, how, can you, how can you eat risotto when there are people who are perishing? So I, I went out uh, and found a, a woman sleeping on a bench. Um, and that was my response, if this is true. Um, that I have eternal life. I, I want everyone to, to have that opportunity to know mm. God's love. You received some advice around then because it, uh, I think you applied to several missionary agencies, societies, and your application wasn't being received. And then you you talked to, to one man. I'm trying to remember his name. I know you remember his name. Um, but uh, mm. th that's right. So uh he gave you some advice that was really life-changing for you. Uh, could you share that with us? Well, after the dream, um, and I'd been to a meeting where uh, someone spoke in tongues and there was an interpretation. None of that bothered me, but the, um, I was expecting to hear in the meeting, go to Africa or go to this place, you know, um, but it wasn't that, it was go. So I went to the uh, he, uh, he was a, a vicar, which is a, 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 an Anglican pastor. And I said, uh, listen, um, every time I pray, the Lord says go, but he's not being very helpful about where. Um, he just says, go and I'll show you. Uh, go and I'll lead you. Um, so uh, I got stuck. Uh, he's saying go and I'm saying where. He says, go and I'll show you. So I said to um, Richard Thompson, um, I think I'll stay in London and help you. And he said, no, 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 don't, don't, don't. If the Lord's telling you to go, you must go. Um, and and I said, but I, I can't because I don't know where. And he said, um, why don't you get onto a ship? Find the cheapest one you can that's traveling in the most different countries. Get on the ship and pray to know where to get off. And it was like a bell went off in my heart. And I thought, oh, that is such fun i would love that so um i said to him that that sounds wonderful but it surely it's cheating because missionaries have to suffer and i'd love to do that and he said no it's not cheating and told me the story of abraham and said um, he was told to go and he went without knowing where he was going and spent most of his life not getting there so i found the cheapest ship i could um had all my uh, vaccinations for countries along the way in case I needed to get off there. And that's how I ended up in Hong Kong. Well, that's how I ended up in Hong Kong, which is a very interesting story. This is Jackie Pollinger, who's been used in the walled city of China, and people will bring her heroin addicts, and her and her buddies will lay hands on them and pray in tongues over them until they're supernaturally healed of all addictions and withdraws, and the military police of China will bring her people. Like, that's just what they do. They're like, hey, we know you're a Christian. We don't want to know what you do to these people. We just know that they're addicts when we have them, and they're not addicts when you give them back to us. And she has tons of houses in the walled city where they're doing ministry with all of these drug addicts. And they're just in, it's illegal. Like it, 
it's wild. She just walks in power. It kind of reminds me of that that letter that the Roman soldiers are writing to each other going, hey, if we make Christians Christianity illegal, what will we do with all of our demonized? Like it's it's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light right next to each other on display. And man, I freaking love listening to Jackie Pollinger. I like listening to her stories. I like listening to her testimony, her heart. Uh, it's it's fantastic. Michael, yeah. what are your thoughts about that interview? I just... I thought it was funny because she misunderstood since we're called remnant radio. She thought it was going to be audio and she's like, Oh, I wasn't ready. This is just right as the show was about to start. And so she, you know, spruces up just a little bit and she comes on the show. She's in her seventies and she's beautiful. And I'm like, well, I mean, whatever. I don't know. It, it was just kind of funny, but um, yeah, we put up with man, Michael's ugly face every single week. We can deal with a little bit of little just makeup. You wretched, know I mean? wretched. That's right. But, um, so you have Jackie Pollinger and Josh, I don't know if by the time our viewers, cause we're pre-recording this so we can go on vacations, uh, <laughs> or take a few days off of, between Christmas and new year. Will they have seen Heidi Baker yet? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, it's a great question. Uh, either way, it's a, it, it should be published that they'll see that it's going to be live. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, like seriously, my two favorite episodes this year. We're with like female missionaries, Jackie Pullinger and Heidi Baker. Oh my gosh, dude. Those episodes were so good. You guys have to see them if you haven't already. I mean, really, how different are they? They're just like one lady I, went to China, one lady went to Mozambique. They're really not that different. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I don't know. I just, uh, they're just powerful stories. But uh, yeah, so a couple of things that maybe stood out to me. One, when she talked about like, you know, I felt, I felt, joy for like 30 seconds when I realized I had eternal life. And then I, it dawned on me that other people don't have eternal life. And I just had to go tell everybody. I, what I love about that is like, that's the moment where, where like, people in America these days deconstruct. For her, it caused her to be a missionary. You know what I'm saying? So where it's like, they deconstruct or they change their doctrine to become universalist. The discomfort that they feel over some don't have eternal life, they find some way around it. They either deconstruct entirely or they change their doctrine to universalism. Or like a lot of Christians do, they just think about it for about 30 more seconds. And then they're like, it's more preferable not to think about this. And we just go about our business. But she allowed that, that cognitive dissonance to drive her to the nations. And man, I think that's powerful. I mean, there's the vertical, like the call from God. And she definitely had that too. Like she, she says, he keeps saying, go, he keeps saying, go. So she had that, but there is also, you know, like Paul will say, woe is me. If I do not preach the gospel, like there, there is that pull from people like, Hey, people are perishing without Christ. I, man, I just feel super inspired by that. Um, and I agree. I think I think uh, the thing that's most interesting to me about these two women, in, well, actually, probably not Heidi. Jackie might be a better example of the two on this issue. Is Jackie was not like deeply discipled, like she just wasn't deeply discipled. Uh, she didn't have like a a mentor in spiritual gifts or a person who was like a supernatural teacher for her. Uh, there was no Jack Deere in her life. There was no Wayne Grudem. Uh, there was no Sam Storms. You know, there weren't these uh, great scholars that she was able to sit underneath and be discipled. She didn't get to go hang out with John Wimber and like learn the ropes or anything like that. This is just a young lady who said yes. 
and God impacted China because she said yes. I think my favorite thing about this story is that she's a Christian. That's it. Like, it's not hard. It's not difficult. It's like, what would God do with a faithful Christian who said yes and then really gave their life to the Lord? When the Lord said, go, and we said yes, I think a lot of our lives would look a lot more like Jackie's. And that's that's the best part of that story. The best part of that story is she's a woman of God, loves the Lord, trusts him, and she says yes. And I think that's the yeah. biggest difference between me and Jackie Pollinger is she says yes, and I'm, I'm still a coward. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that's that's what it comes down yeah, to. And, is there's areas and of Josh, my life. like you said, like you said earlier in the show, cowards are the first ones to first be ones to go to hell. Well, it's it's, it's the area up. of my life where I go. There are areas that I have some bravery in, and there's other areas of my life that I still have to put to death. And that's encouraging, yeah. man. I think I think all of us are in that space where it's like, yeah, you know, um, when I was 17, I stood up on you know uh, the 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 seats of a Pizza Hut, you know, uh, what do you call that booth, and preached the gospel to a Pizza Hut. Um, I don't do that anymore. I Are used there to. People there? Like, why? Were, were you preaching to like the actual pizzas? Yes, I was. I was. I'm trying to find a funny joke on the spot. I can't think of it. Uh, the 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 pizza what? lights were beating down upon me. The pepperonis were all slain. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it was, yeah. But like, yeah. there are moments in my life where like, yeah, man, God used me because I said yes. And then there are moments in my life where my dignity is more important. You know, yeah. and uh, and I'm I'm afraid of giving up that dignity. And you look at people like Jackie and Heidi, and they're just giving their all to the Lord. And I just go, man, they have so much to teach us in that regard yeah. to kind of die to self and just trust the Lord. Uh, and I think that's yeah. encouraging. I think hope to everyone who's watching. They, you know, Heidi actually has fancy book learning degrees, um, but but both yeah. of these women have said yes. And that's that's good. Yeah, and there were a couple of other things that I think were motivating to me, and one was just the role of speaking in tongues in her ministry you talked a little bit about speaking in tongues over these drug uh, actually leading these drug addicts to christ and getting them speaking in tongues and when they speak in tongues they don't have withdrawal pains and therefore are able to overcome and it's something like i asked her for a percent she hesitated she didn't she's like i don't like percents but reading between the lines, it was something like 100%. I mean, maybe it was 98%. But I mean, almost everyone that they were able to to lead to the Lord and get them speaking in tongues, they would not have withdrawal symptoms. And man, that that's, I think, at least pr- uh, a strong practical, uh, empirical support for the biblical truth that speaking in tongues edifies your spirit. Uh, so I think that was fascinating and it really motivated me to speak in tongues and man, if we had time, but I know we don't, I'd love to, um, I'll probably do it on some future episode. I, I got to talk with Jackie later about the gift of tongues and she, uh, really enlightened me on some things that I, I thought was really cool. Anyway, I'll share them someday. Then, and uh, speaks in tongues more. He is no longer addicted to heroin. So that's good. Um, yeah, I'm just kidding. actually, to do with the story. um, when I spoke in tongues, my beard started growing, Josh. Oh, very impressive. Wow. I don't know what, what even ch- that ch- means. Ch- 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 facial hair. <laughs> okay, let's let's do our final video, Asbury Revival. Okay. You want to dive into that one, Michael? Yeah. Cool. And the people there are using scripture. Um, but, but again, people are, they're being reverent in a moment to say, like, God is here. And, and we're going to be careful and we're going to worship him and we're going to thank him for being here. And there's something mm-hmm. very, again, precious about the moment. So the, the, the there's guys like a guy named Zach who first did the testimony. Like he, he got up and he did the chapel session and 
and uh, a bunch of people started repenting of sin and and I've seen him take you know the mic a couple of times and kind of give an exhortation or encourage the body in a certain way uh, or or the, the the seminary president will get up but again few and far between there's no interruptions it's mostly worship that 20% though is often focusing on holiness and repentance like that is the, the there's a big sign up on the wall that says holy holy holiness unto the lord or holy unto the lord something to that effect um, and it's like in the chapel there. And that is like who they are as a people. That's, that's the ethos of Asbury. So they're sitting around and they're, um, you know, the Zach leads everyone in this prayer. He's like, look, if you, you know, uh, if you want to confess sin, you want to get right with Jesus, we're going to practice in public confession. Okay. Uh, if what does that like look like? Yeah. He said, if there's something that's on your heart, stand up and say, Hey, uh, Jesus, I confess of lust. I confess Jesus of pride. I confess, he says, just one word or two words. Like, I don't need a sentence. I don't need a big thing. Like just- There's a lot of boundaries on what they allow people to do, which is good. Which is great. Again, lots, it's been shepherded for a movement that has no leaders. It's been shepherded spectacularly as far as I can tell. Um, so, so they would get up and say, Hey, this is, this is my sin. And so Jesus, you know, forgive me or Jesus, I confess lust. And what would happen is when he would get up and say, Jesus, I confess lust, the whole church would say, the blood of Christ forgives you. And then another person would get up and say, I confess addiction. And the whole room would say, the blood of Christ forgives you. So this was a clip from my time at Asbury. I went and visited. There was a lot of internet guys and girls who were watching the stuff going on at Asbury and kind of giving their two cents on it. And I don't feel like many of them showed up for any substantive period of time to kind of examine it themselves, the ones that were critical in particular. Um, there were certainly a lot of people who went and stayed and gave commentary on it. I'm not trying to say that no one did that, but um, I was, man, I was pretty grieved. Right as we were making this video, there's a lot of people who were saying, you know, the gospel is not being preached enough. But, you know, every time, every day that I was there, someone stood up and proclaimed, you know, repentance of sin. They they called people to repentance. You, you heard that public confession that took place there. They were pointing to Jesus. Yeah, there was tons of worship, um, but it was very low hype worship. You know, people would try to like clap real fast, you know, and the guitar guy would not move past the beat. So like there'd be a, a group of people, like real charismatic students who'd show up and they wouldn't let them hijack it. Every time someone come with a shofar or a tambourine, they'd stop them and, at the door. But then they would also say from the stage, hey, this is the way that we're worshiping here. We ask you to keep it reverent and holy unto the Lord. Uh, this is what's specific about us. So it was a low hype high Jesus, high repentance, high worship space. Like that's, that's what they were valuing in that space. And, and then people were saying, you know, this is carnal this is not God. And, uh, you know, these people, they're not really preaching the gospel. It's not, it's not two hour services and, you know, uh, you know, getting to the preaching stuff, but it's like these five minute little things of repent and believe and a bunch of worship music. And I just go, you know, I, I think I, I think I believe in depravity. I think more than some of those heretic hunters and some of those discernment ministries, just because I don't believe that sinful, carnal, evil humans gather around in a corner to worship this, this God that's in heaven by their sinful nature. I think our sinful nature is to hate God and love our sin. I think that's our, that's our human nature. Um, but when God shines in our hearts, transforms our lives and we repent of our sin and we want to spend all day worshiping God. I mean, these are, you know, 20 something year olds during Valentine's day sort of period of time. And instead of, you know, going out and, you know, 
dancing with some girl in some club, you know, being sexually immoral with somebody They're They're hanging out in a church building, praying and worshiping God. And if that room is full, they go into the overflow room at right next door and pray and worship there. And there are lines outside of this, this church that line the blocks, line the city. It's, it's wreaking havoc on the plumbing of the city because of all the people that are coming into the city for the Asbury revival. And I'm telling you, man, I have got nothing but positive things to say about Asbury. I was only there for four days, uh, but I was there quite a bit those four days. We, we hung out, maybe it was three days, but still. I was there for a substantive amount of time, and I was there regularly. I heard nothing but good, holy preaching, teaching. It was short, admittedly, but but worship unto God, and, and very low-hype worship at that. So yeah. nothing but positive things to say. Yeah, man, you know, there there is that saying that haters are going to hate. And that's unfortunately true. They hate true us because they ain't the us. <laughs> yeah. It's unfortunately <laughs> true in the church, man. Like, here's what I want to say to those who are hating on uh, on Asbury, okay, and what was going on there. I just want to say, you know what? You didn't like Asbury because uh, of its, I mean, what? Because of its emphasis on holiness? You didn't like that? Oh, they didn't preach Jesus enough. Okay, so... Asbury didn't preach Jesus enough, hated on that. And then you had Toronto. They were uh, they were too silly, uh, so hated on Toronto. And and hey, like Josh and I, like we, just from a distance, we were like, you know, Josh was probably a sparkle in his parents' eyes when Toronto was happening. And uh, I wasn't even a believer yet. But from what I've read, there was some, you know, excess, but there was also some greatness and it, whatever. But haters going to hate, and they hated on Toronto. Uh, they hated on Anaheim. Focus on miracles and the power of the Holy Spirit. They hated on the Jesus movement. And, well, these you know grunge people, what are they doing in the church and messing up our fancy organ playing and bringing in their low-class guitars? And, you know, well, John the Baptist, he's, he's an ascetic. He's always fasting. And you, know, you got Jesus, he's a drunkard and a glutton. I'm just saying, haters are going to hate, man. Like, what revival could possibly happen that you would celebrate? Like, what would you celebrate? I don't even know. Because you don't celebrate mass repentance. You don't celebrate more worship. You don't celebrate more prayer. You don't celebrate hippies getting saved. Like, there's literally nothing. So, maybe the problem isn't the revivals. Maybe the problem is you. Like, haters are going to hate. And your cynicism is sin. So you should repent. Maybe you should go to the Asbury. You should have gone to the Asbury revival and maybe repented there. I don't know, Josh. I'm getting a little feistier here. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm just saying. What happened was we got the Andy Stanley rant and we started getting real preachy and we haven't been able to turn it off ever since. I think that's what happened. <laughs> I um, swear it began, I, is it? Bro, we're like talk show guys. Like we're just like not shock jocks. We just like talking, shooting the breeze and having fun. But once you turn that that preacher switch on, it is hard to turn it off. Anyway, um man, I'll, I'll tell you what. There there are there are still things I think ripples of Asbury and I'm this is my hope, man. My prayer is that 2024 holds something of of similar substance as Asbury. I'm kind of hoping that that was just kind of the first spark uh, and that we continue to see stuff. I mean, we saw not just that there, but we saw that event at Asbury spark a lots of these little small kind of moves in other universities across America. Sure. Um, and there was just powerful things that were happening. People getting, was it, was it your alma mater? Um, they're like baptizing people out in the fountain outside of the school. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, 
Yeah, I didn't go to Texas A&M for sure. For sure. I'm a University of Texas guy. So okay, well that's what I meant. Yeah, maybe, maybe it was A uh, and M that I was getting confused with, but yeah, n- you they're the n- same. Neither here nor there. Not the same. But yeah, uh, you, you know though you uh, like just make was a ripple effect. Like I think that's really what what I'm asking the Lord is, Lord, what were you doing? And I just wonder if there was just if like the Lord was giving us a glimpse of the solution to the cultural malaise to the cultural just i mean i don't know i you just look at western culture and we're like falling apart and it's just you see these people coming together and worshiping jesus and encountering the presence of god and it's like it's a like a warm blanket and a kiss from heaven it's it's this amazing experience like what if that was more widespread I don't know. I yeah, Josh, I'm with you in the midst of the craziness of our culture and what's going on. Uh, how refreshing would it be if something like that became wide, more widespread? Uh, it does. I'll be honest. It makes me sad that it wasn't more widespread. Like it, it was just. It's just like the Lord went, whoop, started something, and then it just ended. And it, and and so that that actually makes me sad. I wish that it went on for longer, like, you know, Welsh revival went on for a few years and so on. But, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to discern what, what God's doing with it. I I hope it's a ripple effect. Yeah, man. I, I think, uh, I think there's, we're in a space right now where leaders are failing the church. We're, we're in a space where pastors are falling into scandals. Um, we're in a space where the, the pastors that aren't falling into scandals are being scandalous with their speech. Uh, being incendiary with their speech, they're being disqualifying with their speech, they're endorsing sin with their speech. Um, and, and it's just a day, again, where we have access to the source material. Uh, Christians are at, by the droves just not going to church. They're just staying at home because of COVID and they're going to they're gonna stay Christian. They're going to find their online teacher online. They might be listening to Remnant Radio, God forbid, instead of going to church. Uh, and they're just going to listen to their their scholars and the teachers that they want, and they're gonna they're gonna do some fancy book learning. But I'm gonna tell you what: when I read the Book of Acts, the power of the Spirit is poured out on the church. It's poured out on people. It's not some guy in his prayer closet somewhere, just him and Jesus. And I remember being in a Pentecostal space, and they're like, "Hey, you know, revival fire always happens, you know, in the prayer closet, and then it comes out, and we all share it together." And I just go, "Man, no, Acts two happened in a group. You know, Acts four happened in a group when when Paul." goes or Peter goes and preaches to to Cornelius the spirit falls on the whole household you know these aren't these small private little meetings this happens corporately so so as much as we're in a time where leaders are failing and the body of Christ is on this like make or break moment and the body of Christ is in a space where we're looking for leadership we're looking for truth and we're looking for gospel and we're kind of source selecting our own places I think Asbury is a reminder that with all the fancy book learning in the in the world nothing comes close to getting near the presence. Nothing comes close from getting an, a gaze at Jesus. Like there, all of the, the, the theology in the world will not satisfy the way Christ satisfies. And, and I hope 
that that all of the you know armchair theologians who are doing church at home with them and their families will will, will come to the the body of Christ to come to the house of the Lord and not not forsake the sacred assembly and come to the church for what only the church can give because the church gives Christ when you come to the church you're able to enter in to worship with the community and he is promised to inhabit the praise of his people the Spirit of God is present in our worship. The Spirit of God is in our fellowship over the table. It's true koinonia, true fellowship with the body. It's true fellowship with the blood. When we gather together and the preaching and teaching of the word is there, his spirit is is sacramentally, if you will, empowering that very word because it's the, it's the gospel. It's the words of God. It's the power unto salvation for everyone who believes. And, and when we gather together and we take the table and we worship and we preach and teach the word and he's somehow mystically in our midst when we gather together in Matthew 18 in a way that he's not at other times. When we gather together, he's somehow in our midst. And I hope I hope with all of the, the theology and the, and the armchair theologians and all the passion we have for God's word, that we would realize that it's not a replacement for God himself. And I hope that what Asbury does is kindles our heart towards the things of God and not just pietism, but true piety, truly being with the Lord. Um, man, I, I hope that's what it does in us. And I hope that we are not satisfied with just learning, but we actually we use learning as a means to achieve an encounter with the Lord. We, we use learning as it is the knowledge of God, that the that the peace may abound to us in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be, we'd re, be refreshed by the spirit of the Lord. You know, as we repent, as we, as we learn things about God, we repent. So the times are refreshing. They come to us. I mean, I, I really hope that, that it's not, it's, it's not the end and that we actually use it for what it's intended to do, which is to draw us nearer to Christ. Um, anyway, that's my long diatribe, my long rant. I'm ready to wrap. Michael, do you have any closing thoughts you want to, you want to add to this? Nah, man, I, I think you pretty much summed it up. So I, I'll, let you be the one who closes that part out and uh maybe i'll close out this part guys thank you so much for joining us in this best of 2023 look forward to 2024 with you guys uh thanks so much for the ways you supported this channel make sure you click the link for the newsletter in our description and it lets you know all the things that we have going on a lot more than just this podcast so uh definitely check out that newsletter and uh you guys have a great holidays and uh look forward to seeing you guys next time blessings want to thank kairos classrooms for sponsoring this episode of remnant radio and if you're out there you've ever wondered hey i wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies well you need to check out kairos classrooms they offer greek and hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you it's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers and they help teach you the biblical languages of greek in Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio.